I titled the sermon, Don't Waste Your Life, Invest It. Invest your life. Don't waste it. Uh, I think when I see that title of John Piper's excellent book, if you haven't read it, then read it. The book is titled, Don't Waste Your Life. And it is so good, such a call, especially to young people. Uh, If you're in junior high, high school, college, that is a book. It's out there. I recommend it. Uh, You you don't have to buy it. If you don't have any money, just check that one out and uh, and read it. Let's dive into these words. We'll just take it a little at a time. We'll begin in verse 13 and 14. I, I titled this A Selfish Demand. So remember, Jesus has been teaching about hypocrisy. He's, he's teaching away, and then it's almost like this just drops in out of nowhere, okay? This is what happens. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Okay, now you talk about kind of an out-of-the-blue moment. Tens of thousands of people are trampling one another to get to hear Jesus teach. And so there are massive crowds. There's all kinds of hostility and animosity. But but then there's just a lot of people with all kinds of different things going on out there in the crowd. And here's a guy who is just missing all of what Jesus has been talking. It's like he's got his thing and he's focused on it and this is what he has to figure out right now. So he interrupts Jesus' teaching and shouts this out. And what's fascinating, it's not really even a question when you think about it. This is a demand. He is, he is in a sense, calling Jesus into action, commanding Jesus, do this for me. How awkward it would be to be this guy's brother, right? So apparently the dad has died and left the inheritance to this man's brother. And the man's brother seems to be present because he wants Jesus to rebuke him right there, right? Tell my brother, that guy right there, right? Wearing the, the brown canvas. <laughs> Tell him to give me my portion. I want my fair share. I deserve more than I'm getting. And we've wrangled about it, and he's not doing it, so I want you to tell him what he should do for me. Hmm. It's interesting. I want what he has. Jesus, you tell him to give it to me. You know what's interesting? It kind of reminds me a little bit of Mary and Martha. It's a a similar tone here. Hey, Jesus, why don't you tell my sister, quit being a slacker, right? You do this for me. Jesus sometimes was brought into interpersonal uh, relationships and and, and dynamics. And and with Mary and Martha, they were disciples. They were followers. But this man here seems to just be kind of just some guy in the crowd who's just interrupting Jesus, and uh, his heart seems to be very much in the wrong place. He certainly is going about it in all the wrong ways, right? Publicly shaming his brother for not giving him what he thinks he deserves of his inheritance, and then commanding the teacher, you don't ever tell Jesus what to do. Can we just agree with this? Don't tell Jesus, the king of kings, what to do. We bend our knee before him. We don't command him. But Jesus responds to him, man, and don't miss that. 
That is not a, a term of endearment. It's not friend or brother or bro. It's man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? This is an interesting response of Jesus. In short, this is his answer. No. Right? I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I'm not going to enter into this. It's an interesting thing. I mean, in, in one sense, who else would be the person to ask to be the judge? He is the judge, right? Of the living and the dead. He will come again to judge all people. And every word and every act, everything will be judged by Jesus. But not now. Not at this point. It's not time for that yet. So he's like, no, not going to do it. But he doesn't leave it there. He doesn't leave it there. And I think this is the grace of God. Sometimes when we receive from the Lord the answer that we are not hoping for, He's good enough to give us more than just a no. Sometimes in his grace, he points out something that is far more important than the answer we were hoping for. I mean, you think of this man. He wants the money. He wants the stuff. He wants the land. He wants what he wants. And that is what his single focus is. I want to hear the answer of yes, not no. But Jesus is going to give him something far more valuable than all he has set his hope on. He's going to teach. He's going to do the same for us. Sometimes when we come in life up against a no from God or a wait from God, he meets us in that very place with a teaching, a lesson, an encouragement, a word from him that we need even more. And we might not have heard it or learned it if the answer was yes, go for it. It's a valuable lesson for us to learn as well. And so Jesus gives him a a serious warning, a serious warning. Verse 15, he said to them, now he's talking to the crowd. He's talking to his his followers, the, the masses, as many as can hear. So here's the man, here's his brother, and he's speaking now to everybody, but also to this man and his brother. Take care or beware, be on your guard, against all covetousness, or in the New American Standard, every form of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Whoa! That gets to the heart of this demand from the man in the crowd. I think at that point, everybody was like, oh boy, here we go. We got a new topic, and he is drilling straight to the heart already. We're right there. Pin drop. It's coming. That man would have been quiet. Take care. Be on the alert. Be on your guard. Watch out. Stand against all covetousness. Guard against it. Every form of greed. Your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Now, covetousness is an interesting thing. I, I, I think it's important to notice this. See the word all there? Against all covetousness, or in New American Standard, every form of greed. You know, you try to say, well, what are all these words that we try to describe this as? Because some of it's 
a longing, a heart thing. Some of it's action, and some of it's kind of woven in together with all of this. So I want to give some definitions of these words that we often will just interchange without thinking. Covetousness is, is a strong desire for more money or possessions, or more specifically, to want those things from someone else that, that, uh, that another has, right? So someone else has this thing, and I don't have it, and I covet that thing that I want. I want that for me. I want what they have for me. I want that inheritance that he has been given. I want it for me. How is that different from envy or greed or even jealousy, right? These words we use all the time, kind of intermingled. Well, here's a stab, at least, of of some of the differences. Envy has a level of resentment. There's a resentful desire to have something possessed by another. So I, I resent that they have it, and I want it. I don't want them to have it. I want me to have it. You see, that's envy. That's a little more targeted. It's a, an ill will toward the person who has something that I want. And I think there's probably all forms of it here woven in. This man is really not excited about his brother having the inheritance that he thinks he should have. So there's envy functioning in that. And then greed. That's the insatiable lust or longing or desire for gain. And here's the, the, maybe the piece that, that makes it more uh, connected to this greed by any means possible. I'll do whatever I have to get, to, to do to get it. I will step on people. I will break laws. I will do what needs to be done to get what I want. All forms of covetousness. Jealousy is an interesting one. Jealousy tends to be something I have that I'm afraid I'm going to lose, right? I'm, I'm jealous for my wife. And I said, don't, don't mess with my wife, right? I have a, a good jealousy for her. We're in covenant together. God is jealous for his glory. Don't you take his glory. He will not give his glory to another. That is a good jealousy. God whose name is jealous. It's in your Bible. Uh, the sinful form of jealousy is when that fear leads to sin. It's an unrighteous uh, jealousy. It leads to all kinds of ugliness and, and, and death and destruction. So all forms of covetousness, be on your guard against them. Well, how do you be on your guard against them? You have to be looking, you have to be watching, you have to be evaluating, you have to be examining, assessing. Where is this? Is it there? What is that? What is that longing? Do I have it? Is it right and righteous or is it dark and evil? The 10th commandment, my friends, you shall not covet your neighbor's house or your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox truck or his donkey lawnmower, I don't know, or anything that is your neighbor's, right? Fill in the blank. Do you see the description, the build out? Don't look at what your neighbor has. Oh, that is so cool, man. What comes next? I wish I had that. Boom, we're there. We are there so quickly. It happens in an instant when you're walking down the road and a super awesome 
car rolls by and your look turns into a glare, stare. You know, there was a TV show for a while on TV titled, I Want That. Only in America, right? Was that a successful TV show? Thankfully, it's off the air now, but I want that. They just show you things, you yeah, covet, covet, covet. Want that, want that, want that. Interesting. It's in the list of the ten. That's how big a deal it is. All forms of covetousness. Now think, in the scriptures, how many examples of this we find. Lucifer himself, his longing for the glory that was God's alone is what stirred in him his rebellion and the casting down of a third of the angels of heaven. And then his temptation was the echo of the very same thing. God's holding out on you. I know you have all of these trees in this beautiful garden, but you don't have one tree, and that one tree, that's the one you really want, right? He has it. You want it. Go get it. Cain, he was envious of God's delight in Abel's sacrifice. He coveted the joy and acceptance and attention that, that God was giving Cain or to, to Abel just because he was obeying and Cain was kind of shooting from the hip. What did he do? Well, he rose up and he killed his brother. We're talking the fall of angelic realm, the fall of all of humanity, the first murder. Okay, this is kind of a big deal. All forms of covetousness. Then we think of the big three, the kings, the first king of Israel. He was covetous of David's glory, David's attention. Saul, you've killed your thousands, but David is ten thousands. Spear. I'm going to kill him. He is anointed. He is chosen. And then David, on the roof, he sees another man's wife. Tenth commandment, friends. He lusted. He took adultery, what was not his. And then he tried to cover it up by killing her husband. Uh, and on from there. Think of the fault. Solomon, multiplied wives, multiplied riches, all of these things. It was that at the heart that led him astray. He did not finish well. Judas had a special attention to the money bag. He paid close attention to the box, and he was dipping in to the box along the way. He betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. How do you get there? You start here. Covetousness. Greed. Envy. And Demas. Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me, Paul says. He chose to give his heart to this present world and to leave Paul all alone. The examples go on and on. This is just a, just a glance from Scripture. Here's a few more cross-references that put this very heavily addressed topic in Scripture on our radar here. Paul says, To put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. And then he builds it out. Which is idolatry. Whoa. So the heart of covetousness reveals a heart that is bowing 
to something other than the Lord himself. Choosing to put treasure, esteem, worship into something fleeting and fading. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. It's a warning. Paul writes in 1 Timothy, the love of money, not money, itself, the love of money, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's through the, the craving for more money, this, this insatiable greed, longing, giving yourself to that, that some have even wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. If you want to see the heart of idolatry, that's exactly where it leads you. You cannot serve both God and money. You'll be devoted to the one, and you will hate the other. That's our call this morning. Take care and be on guard, Jesus says. Be warned. Beware. Why? Because your life, my friends, my life, it does not consist in the abundance of possessions. You can't find life in your stuff. Your soul will starve if you try to fill it with material possessions. There's no life there. No satisfaction. You ask the richest men on earth, are they there yet? Is it enough? How many times have we seen this? Is it enough? How much is enough? Just a little more. Just a little more. Why? Because someone always has a bigger yacht. Always. And then when you get the biggest yacht, someone comes and they're like, you know, I, I'm a yacht builder. I can build one bigger than that. Someone always has more. Someone, there's, there's always more. There's always another. Hmm. It's never enough. Let's just talk a little bit about our culture. Um, we live in a culture that is drunk on materialism. We are intoxicated with materialism. In fact, friends, one of the reasons we don't see supernatural demonic activity like other regions in the world, I'm convinced, is because Satan is so successful in getting uh, the American Western mindset so lost in our stuff, in our materialism, he doesn't have to reveal himself in scary, supernatural, demonic type of ways. He does it in advertising and marketing and car commercials. What does the advertising industry want to do to you? Richard Winter writes, it wants its endless shows, commercials, and catalogs to breed in you dissatisfaction and discontent with your house, your car, your body, your clothes. In other words, it wants to stimulate in you the desire for more than you currently have. Now, good marketing knows this. Good marketing speaks to that whisper in your heart that says, oh, Oh, there's life there. If only you have that car. If only when you walked into the room, people noticed those clothes. If only, if only. Indulge yourself, Americans. You deserve, oh, this is a very successful one, right? 
you work hard. You deserve. Give me your credit card. Go into debt just a little more. Live your best life now, right? Don't think that Joel Osteen does not play to this market-driven longing. You should build your kingdom right here, right now. Why wait for heaven, right? Live your best life now. Get the newest, the biggest, the fastest, the most powerful, the most advanced. Here comes Black Friday. The most unique, the most expensive, the most sought after. The toy that every kid has to have this Christmas. Do you really need it? Are we sheep just blindly following the cultural pressure around us? You need more clothes, more cars, more jewelry, more toys, more stuff, more storage. And more money to pay for it. What you may actually need more than anything is a yard sale or a house fire. <laughs> Honestly, real, I mean, at some point. Hmm. This is the way to get to the heart. One of the ways I've found helpful to engage my own heart in evaluating, am I bowing? Am I inclined to See that this is going to give life in a way that it can't. You ask the question, what is the promise that this product is offering? And can it deliver? What is the promise? Get to the heart of it. What is being promised here? Well, listen, man, here's the keys. I mean, if you get this car, you're going to be turning heads. Everybody is going to know you've arrived when you roll up in this thing. It feels good. What's the promise there? that you are what you drive. Christian, is that true of you? That is not true of you. Your car will never deliver that. It can never give you identity. It will rust out, and it will someday burn. Don't bow to it. Don't give your heart to it. Drive it, and then park it. Make it bow to you, not the other way around. What's the promise that's being made, and can it really deliver? If only I had this. If I only lived in this house, in this neighborhood, in this state, in this country, wherever. If only I could drive this. If only I wore these clothes. If only I worked in this job or in this location, in, in this kind of environment. If only I had this experience or that experience. Then... You hear your soul? Then maybe I'll be happy. If only, if only, if only. Hmm. Lest we think that this is something that happens only now and then. As I studied this week, I heard the if onlys hit me like all the time, all week long. And I'm just preaching this in my heart, like, hey, hey, are you kidding me? That's not going to deliver what's being promised. What does my soul need? More stuff? The preacher from Ecclesiastes says this, I saw all labor and achievement that spring, or that spring, 
foes that sprang uh, from man's envy of his neighbor. This, too, is meaningless. It's chasing after the wind, friends. It's chasing after the wind. You'd never be satisfied with the accumulation of material possession. It will never be enough. It won't. No matter what the TV shows on HGTV tell you, you live in those houses for a year, they don't look anything the same. Stuff gets dirty, it breaks, it, w- it wears out. Even dream homes can be hollow and empty. Material excess will never make you truly happy, friends, or fulfilled. Now, here's the thing. We know this, don't we? We, we know this. Here's what we We know this. The problem is we forget. We forget that this is true. And and we have to preach this to our hearts constantly because we are fish in the tank. We are in the water. It is all around us. You turn on your TV. You turn on the radio. You look. You live. It is everywhere. Hmm. Now listen to this parable that Jesus tells He goes on to to share with the crowd a parable now that is going to illustrate his point. I call this the rich man's abundance. Verse 16, he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For now, I have have nowhere to store my crops. What am I going to do? I don't have anywhere to to go with my crops. I'm not sure what to do. This this rich man, right, he's, he's a rich man. He's already rich. He's got all these fields, and they have brought in a bumper crop. And so he says, well, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. Hmm, okay. Here's the question we've got to ask. Is this wrong? Is it wrong for a rich man to have a bumper crop and need bigger barns? Well, not necessarily, right? I mean, it happens all the time. Why, why not add a silo or two or ten if the crop was that big? Is it wrong for this man to build bigger barns? No, but maybe. How do you discern this? That's the same process of evaluation we have to do every day at every purchase, at every point along the way, we have to stop and and say, what's my heart? What is the posture of my heart? What is being whispered to me in the choosing of building bigger barns? And that's what we're about to learn. So don't get me wrong. It's not wrong to have a bumper crop. Praise the Lord for a bumper crop. Well, that's part of it that he, anyway, we'll get to that. It's not wrong when the Lord blesses. It's not wrong when you have more. The question is, what is happening in your heart with what has been given? Now the rich man's folly. We're about to understand his heart by what Jesus tells us. Verse 19, he said, I I will say to my soul. Now, here's one indicator. (laughs) We're going wrong already. I am going to speak to my soul in regard to the, the overflow of grain that I have now. Is 
So this, this connection, your soul and your stuff, danger, red flag. We should be just, no, don't do it. Don't say this to your soul. He's going to say, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, be merry. Be satisfied, soul. We got plenty of grain. We're good to go. Mm. Suicide. That's suicide. That's what that is. That is soul suicide. I, 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 my, 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 I will say to my soul, I have enough. I can do this. It's about me. It's all about me. My soul will finally be satisfied because this bumper crop has just put us way over there. This abundance is exactly what my soul needed. And now I'm just going to sit there and, you know, I'm just going to count my barns every day. I say, yep, that's mine. Oh, look at over there. That's mine as well. Look at that. It's all mine. Hmm. You know, what's interesting about retirement. Um, it's a fairly new concept. The Bible only mentions retirement once, and this is the place. It's not kind of a very positive view of retirement. Um, now, before you think I'm, I'm, I'm going to ruin your day about retirement, <laughs> here's what I would just say. Don't waste your retirement. There's a way to waste your retirement. Make it all about you. I worked. I did my time. And now I am going to enjoy me. These days, these are my days. I earned them. I saved, I worked, I labored, and now the rest of the world can just deal with it because it, it's, it's me time. I'm going to do what I want to do. Or if I don't want to do anything else, I'm not going to do that either because I'm retired. Serving the church, I put in my time. Let someone else do it. I'm retired. Friends, that is just not biblical. It's not. Don't waste your retirement. Leverage it. If you are freed up and you are set free from the daily routine that you have been bound to in your job as you glorify God day by day, working in, working out, then use the time he's given for his joy, his glory, his kingdom. Invest your retirement. Don't squander it. Piper's sermon about gathering seashells and it's, you know, building a collection of seashells when, when people around the world are living and dying without the gospel. Man, it gets your heart. There's work to be done. There's prayers to be prayed there's help needed in the kingdom work. Retirees, go for it, right? Game on like never before. Don't waste those years. Come into home plate, worn out, exhausted, nothing left on the field. Every day to the end, through the tape, by God's grace. Honor the Lord with your wealth, comes to all of this. This comes to this man in this parable. He fails to do this. 
Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. He gives no thought to the Lord, to the needs of the kingdom work around him, to, to how to honor God with the one. I mean, think of this. Who made the bumper crop? Who brought the rain at just the right time? Who caused the seeds to sprout and be strong and resilient? Who protected the crops from, from hail and, and, and storms? Who brought that seed just to the right point of, of maturity? And then as the harvest came in, everything lined up. God did that. You say, well, I'm not a farmer. I, I mean, I work hard. I did that. You worked hard in whose strength? You worked hard with the body that you made? Oh, wait, that God made and sustains. This is His gift, friends. Honor Him. Honor Him. Proverbs 21, 26, all day long, the sluggard craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. One of the marks of righteousness is is the opposite of being stingy. It's the word lavish that comes to mind again and again. God is a lavish giver. His righteousness echoed in me leads to lavish giving, lavish giving. Give and give and give. This man could have built bigger barns for the purpose of others, for the benefit of the poor, for for the, the, the leveraging of the glory of God in that area. He could have helped so many people, but his only thought was of himself. This is what Jesus says. God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you and the thing that you have prepared, the things that you have stored up, all your material possessions, who's going to own those? Somebody else. Not you. Because you can't take it with you. Hmm. Now your soul, it's going somewhere. But none of that stuff gives life to your soul, not in the slightest. There's no U-Hauls behind hearses. You can't take it with you. I mean, we're going to go to Egypt and explore these tombs of these, these Egyptian pharaohs. And guess what? They're all empty. <laughs> They're empty. They were buried with all the riches of Egypt and then looted. And the things that weren't taken, the rest is in a museum, behind glass. They don't own anything that they had. But where is their soul right now? It stands before the living God to give an account. Where did they put their hope? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? We brought nothing into this world. We can take nothing out of it. Friends, hear this. Oh, hear this today. How how much of our lives will we give ourselves to this chasing after the wind? Just refusing to have less than the people around us. Just more. We have to have more. There's kingdom work to be done. There's, there's opportunities to just give and serve and participate in all kinds of ways. Now, I'm going to close with the goal of gain. I'm calling this the goal of gain. Verse 21. 
So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Okay, now, this is interesting. Jesus brings this point of application. He brings it to, it, it to its final landing point. And he says, listen, both to the man who is out in the crowd who says, give me my due. I want what I deserve. And to all of those who are following Christ, all of those in earshot, and to all of us today, He's saying, don't waste your life. Invest it. That's his point. Don't waste your days that God has given you. Don't waste his blessings in your life, the gifts that he has wired you up with, the, the resources that he has lavished upon you. Don't squander them in this short, tiny little life that you have. Look at what is to come. Eternity awaits. If you want to get rich, then get rich toward God. Get rich toward God. Find a way to, to pursue what is of eternal value. And if you can use temporal things, just the things of this earth that are fading, to invest in things that will never fade, you can find a way to be rich in the days ahead. Some of the richest people in heaven have been some of the poorest people on this earth. Think about that. Some people who have absolutely nothing will blow our minds when we get to heaven and see how filled their cup is because they gave and gave and gave for his glory. The goal of gain is give. The goal of gain is give. That's the goal. We've been blessed to be a blessing. We're, we're, we're called to, to, to give, to give. We overflow to bless. So three things that will lead us to be rich toward God. First and foremost, treasure God above all else. Treasure Him above all else and be content with His gifts. Right? This kills covetousness. It kills it. I'm his, and he is mine. There's nothing else on this earth that I desire besides you. Not even life itself. I will not bow. I will not bow to the dollar. You think of this often. It says, in God we trust. This is kind of amazing, honestly. How long is it going to take for that to get removed? whether that is a true statement of our nation today or not. It should be a true statement of every single Christian. And this, this, this is no throwaway. That every time I pull out a dollar, I am preaching this sermon to my soul. I don't trust in this. I don't trust in this. I trust in God. Praise God for the built-in reminders on our currency that remain. Treasure God. Treasure Him. Look at this connection in Hebrews. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for or because. Here's the reason. God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. <laughs> That's awesome. 
That's putting your treasure in God. You have God. When you look to Him in that way, you can find contentment. As Paul says, this is the secret of contentment. In, it, when I have little or when I have a lot, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. That's the secret, friends. What an amazing thing. Godliness with great gain, uh, with contentment is great gain. If you want gain far more than a paycheck or a bonus or whatever it might be, the gain that you need, especially in a culture like we have, is, Lord, I want to be a reflection of you. I want to be godly. In all of your goodness, I want to be like that and totally satisfied in you. Here's how Piper says it. Nothing makes God more supreme, more central, than when people are utterly persuaded that nothing, not money, nor prestige, or leisure, or family, or, or job, or health, or sports, or toys, or friends, nothing is going to bring satisfaction to their aching hearts besides God. You feel that? It's what it means to treasure God. What it, it's what it means to bow and delight in Him above all else. There are times where God will bring us to our knees to teach us that lesson. <laughs> He's a good enough God. He will rip from your hands these fleeting and fading idols that you give your heart to. He will grind to dust your golden calf. Christian, if you bow to that, because he loves you. He loves us. Don't waste your life. Number two, honor and thank God as the giver of all. Here's a big piece of the puzzle we learned from this, this parable. Just, just a, a, a stopping in the equation and acknowledging God. Oh, Lord, thank you for what you have done. There is no way I can take credit for that bumper crop. You've given. Now how can I give? Right? You, look at what you've done. <laughs> you've been so good to me. How can I display that now? Thank him, thank him, thank him. Gratitude will kill. It will kill greed. If you want to fight greed and, and uh, covetousness in your life, then be grateful for every single thing that God has given. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, then why do you boast as if you did not receive it? This is a good thing for our soul. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. When you feel grumpy, I had a day this week where I was grumpy. Sinful. Just, just locked in, of negative. Woe is me. And just begin to count all of the ways that he shows his goodness every day. And all of a sudden, this thing you can't just get past, you just hold it out, and you're just like, wow, Lord, it's really not that bad. We're going to be okay. Sometimes it's silly. We... We get stuck on the dumbest things. 
God is so good to us. So treasure God above all else and be content with his gifts. Number two, honor and thank God as the giver of all. Number three, you want to be rich toward God? Then glorify God by generously giving and investing in his kingdom work and in the lives of people. Find ways to give like he has given to you. Find ways to to surprise people with blessings. I have been in situations over the years in church, I I, I never forget it, both little things and mind-blowingly big things. I remember sitting in California and, and this guy came in and he said, hey, we traded some stock in and the Lord has been so good to us. He's been so good to us. We would like to make uh, a difference at this church. And he, I'm sitting there, and he writes a $100,000 check. And he says, take that and put it where it needs to go for effective use. And he didn't say, here's the deal. I'm about to give a really big gift, and I want this to be used exactly the way I want it. I prefer a name, you know, a plaque somewhere. That acknowledge, no, that's for his glory. No, he said, I don't want anybody to know about this. Here you go. Take it. Run with it. See what the Lord can do for his glory. Right? That's one way. And then over here, the smallest little things. I sometimes get to be the intermediary between people who are wanting to bless but stay in the shadows. You know? We don't want anybody to know what we're doing. Can you give this to them for us? It doesn't have any name on it. It's just anonymous. I love that. I love it. There's little ways and there's big ways. The goal of gain is give. The goal of gain is give. May the Lord find us faithful in our generation. This short little blip that we're on the radar screen, friends, may he find us not stingy, but lavish in our generosity, quick to give, quick to glorify, quick to help and stop and encourage. May he find us as those who treasure him above all else, who have found an an unbreakable, eternal, rich gain through Jesus Christ alone. An inheritance that's kept in heaven for us. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Lay them up where? In heaven. You can this week lay up. Like layaway, right? You're, 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 you're setting it up in heaven and it won't fade. It won't be stolen. It won't ever go away. You can do that this week. Lay up for yourselves mind-blowing right there, these acts of love for the glory of God are going to be revisited for our gain eternally. That's amazing. It's a motivation. Kingdom investment. So response this morning, friends. Just ask this, are you a, a pipe or a pot? Are you a pipe or a pot? When a A pot receives blessing. Its goal is store, hold, keep. In spiritual terms, if you're a pot or a cauldron, God is blessing your life and all you're doing is storing it up. That is not his goal in blessing you. His goal is that we be a pipe, 
a pipe that he blesses us and then we direct that blessing out, right? You find ways to channel it, find ways to bless others. We've been blessed to be a blessing for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that all good things come from you. You're the giver of every good and perfect gift. What do we have, O Lord, that we have not been given today? We give praise and and we honor you as the, the lavish giver who, above all else, has given us life in Jesus Christ. You have, you have saved us from our sins. You have brought us out of our slavery into the promised land of life and freedom and joy with you forever. And Lord, you call us to be echoes of this in our world. You, you call us to, to be reflections of your goodness and generosity in our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would be honored in the way that we make decisions this week, in the way that we enter into this holiday season. We, we have Thanksgiving, <laughs> and we're hardly done with the turkey, and then we're on to Black Friday, all the things we don't have. And Lord, I just pray that you would give us wisdom. Help us to be, to be light in the darkness all around us. Help us to stand out in this market-saturated world that is, that is just, it's, it's selling covetousness constantly. Help us to be on guard, Lord, each week in every offer, in every heart longing. Help us to evaluate this and, and be so careful to put it down, to call it sin, to confess it, to, to renounce it in your power. Oh, Spirit, thank you for the way that you work to bring conviction in this way, to encourage us toward Christ, toward life, to bow before the Lord and not to the mighty dollar. At the end of the day, Lord, you are our portion. You are the portion that we delight in. Whether we have a lot or whether we have a little, we are rich in Christ. And that will never be taken away. Oh, Father, help us to delight in that above all else and then find ways to, to point others to that so that they may find this riches, this, this wealth that we have as well. We love you above all else and we pray, Lord, that this week would be different than the last. In Jesus' name, amen.